All right, so first let's start off. What's up, guys? John Sintes here, Cass Kreitlow, the Cutter Nation podcast, our special guest, the man, Derek Luke. But first, don't forget to go over to the website, shop the online store. We got new hats coming out, by the way. We got new hats with rubber patches. You got the OG, nice. the one with yes, the sir. small uh, Get you a new one over there soon. Uh, don't forget, get J-bands, weighted balls, flush bands, all the amazing stuff over there now. And we also have our awesome partner here right here, Cass, who's been really helping me a lot. And we are building something awesome over here. So obviously you already have some fans in there, some people yelling your name and stuff. But without yes, sir. my throwing partner from the All-Star Game, where we had one of the greatest <laughs> games of catch, and we for sure threw too much. Better um, believe it. Yeah, Derek Luke. What's up, man? How's it going? I'm great, man. Enjoying life uh, in the off-season right now. Uh, hoping to get back here to Mexico pretty soon. So off season. So let's let's go yes. through the history of where you've been and who, <laughs> let, let the people know who Derek the Man Loop is. Okay. Uh, first, my name is Derek Loop. I'm a left-handed pitcher. Um, I grew up in Southern California. Um, I went to Norco High School. Uh, spent some time at Cal State Los Angeles, uh, and I've been everywhere since then. I was drafted by the Indians. I played 13 years professionally. I've played at every level except for Low A and the big leagues. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been an incredible experience to this point. Indians, uh, Red Sox, Camp of the Padres, Phillies, Dodgers, um, Japan, Dominican Republic, Venezuela, Mexico, Canada. So I, I'm well-traveled to say the least. And how old are you? I'm 35. So 35, yeah. still playing and the game. Keeping the dreams alive for those 30 guys. Yes. That's right. That's sure. right. For sure. Awesome. So where are you now? Um, what, what, who's, who are you with? What's your in-between season? You finish up with Culiacan, the, the El Rey of Mexico. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I just finished up my third season, uh, playing for Culiacan, for the Tomateros de Culiacan. Uh, hola mi gente, te amo mucho. Um, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm currently at home with family. I'm only here for about a month at a time. Um, uh, but I'm here training. I go to my local high school, Menorco High, uh, to get my throwing in. They've been, uh, really helpful with that stuff. Uh, so I'm just here getting ready, and uh, like any of your baseball season, you never really know what's going to happen. Um, I could sign today. I could sign tomorrow. I could not get a phone call over the next month, um, but you got to be ready to go. Yeah, that makes me think about, like, the craziness of these free agents. Like, we're February 5th right now, and there's guys that have not signed. It's crazy. A huge big league, I mean, big-name guys, and the unfortunate part about that is not for those guys. It's for the, yeah. all the guys that are up to sign behind them. Yeah. There's so many guys that are waiting for those big guys to sign so they can fall into place that – everyone's kind of freaking out. It's kind of the same thing that happened last year uh, where they were talking about having uh, spring training for all the uh, like unsigned players that have their own uh, free agency thing going on. But um, I'm a little different in my situation. Uh, my uh, draft prospects are limited in uh, where I can or I want to sign. But uh, I love what I do, and I'm still battling every day. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you were, you're, you're super impressive um, on your consistency. It's one of the things that I, you know, you and I talked about when we did play catch out there and, and, you know, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but you don't believe in the straight ball either, do you? Because I, I know I don't, I don't think I throw anything that's straight. Um, fortunately for me and my, I have, I have a natural cutter on my four seam. I've actually learned a sinker over the last uh, couple of years just to get the, get them off of my cutter and my slider. Um, so that's really helped me out. It's actually prolonged my career in my opinion, just being able to move the ball the other direction a little bit while mixing in my curveball and my slider. But, no, uh, throwing a straight ball does nothing for me. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's the biggest thing that I noticed. Like, 
you know, when you and I did play catch, it was like, oh, this guy's a Cutter Nation guy too. All right, let's see how this mm -hmm. is going. And uh, yeah, it was it was really great stuff. So you you don't know where you're going yet as far as uh, the spring? No, not yet. I have a couple of, of prospects that were teams that are very interested, but it's one of those things where they're trying to figure out what they want to do. Um, hopefully as soon it was supposed to happen uh, within the first uh, week of February. We're still in the first week of February. Um, and how things work in Mexico, things don't necessarily always work on time. They usually end up working out, but never usually on time. But uh, so at this point, I'm just trying to stay patient. I got to be ready. So when they do get the phone call, I'm 100% ready to go and got to get after it. So a lot of people don't know, like, especially in the States, like how winter ball works. And you were fortunate enough to play for Team Mexico in the Caribbean Series, which is just amazing. I'm super jealous of you. Congratulations on that. Thank you. Thank um, you. Thank you. People just don't know what baseball is like down there. And my closest description of it is college basketball, but baseball. That is that is what their whole thing is. What What's your opinion on it? Honestly, it's, it's the greatest experiences of my life. I've never played in the big leagues, so I don't have that experience to, to draw from. But um, I played a full season in AAA with the Dodgers. I have a little experience with the Phillies um, and then the rest of the minor leagues in the States. But there's nothing that compares to the passion and the – the drama in Winter League. Um, they do show up late. They don't show up to like the third or fourth inning. But once that happens, it is, like I said, it's a dogfight every single pitch, every single out. And it's it's unlike anything I've ever experienced. The fans are more passionate. Um, they stick around to the last out. They're not trying to get out and try to get to their car to get home as fast as they can. Um, it's, it's, it's just genuinely been one of the best experiences of my life, especially in Mexico. Yeah, when we when we played you guys in the playoffs, when we went to your your place, it was nuts. It was absolutely, yes. you know, I, you know, it was being able to be in that stadium and and see how all that stuff works. I mean, my one of my best friends back home said it to me. He goes, "John, you're a big leaguer, just not in this country." And I was like, "Oh, okay, all right, I got that. I'll I'll, I'll play with that." You know what I mean? And you you can vouch for that as big as you've played in probably you played in every stadium in Mexico, right? Yes, I have. Uh, well, as far as the winter league, and I, I think I've played in everything in the summer league as well. I think I don't think there's a league that I, or a team that I missed. Um, but outside of maybe something like Sultanes, when the Sultanes are in the playoffs and they have thirty thousand, there's nothing like the experience of playing in Culiacan. We have fifteen to twenty thousand during the playoffs. There's twenty thousand people, and it's absolutely incredible to be in a stadium with twenty thousand people that are cheering for you and your team. And, and I'm getting chills thinking about it. There's nothing, there's nothing that's compared like that in my career. They're obsessed. Like, I'm calling out the American yes. fan Y'all don't understand. You don't get it. Like It's true. These, it's absolutely true. People know everything about you, what you like yes. to do, where you like to eat, where you're going to be. You know, they, they, they always talk about, you know, what you do and, and, like, how good you are, and they just make you feel loved. And, you know, I felt that love in Mochi's tremendously because of how so much smaller the town is than Pulia County. Sure. I'm sure, I'm sure you know, what are you, six eight, six nine? You know? No, <laughs> I guess according to them, I would be. I'm a little bit taller than most of the uh, Mexican citizens. Um, but, bro, it's 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 unlike anything I've ever experienced. That the fans are not afraid to tell you if you're bad too. So if no, you're yeah. if you're not playing poor, if you're playing poorly, they'll they have no problem sharing that with you. Um, and social media is obviously a big deal everywhere in the world now. So they have no problem sharing uh, good and bad situations with you. I've gotten good and bad messages. Fortunately for me, they're more good than bad. But uh, they come from every direction. So, for sure. Um, I got to I got go suck chance when I was. You know, that was definitely English. There was definitely a green go sucks chant in English. <laughs> I was not expecting that, you know. 
No, no. And uh, I mean, like I said, it's something, it's something new every single day. You think that you've uh, kind of experienced it. I've been under three years now and just something new pops up all the time. Like, man, I've never seen this before. Man, I've never seen this before. It just, it, it, yeah. yes, it's awesome. So you being 35, mm-hmm. you're still playing, you're still training. Is there anything you can contribute like that being able to stay as effective as you are besides like being a knowledgeable and phenomenal executing, uh, you know, pitching pitcher, what do you feel like keeps you going to be 35 and just keep grinding away? Uh, first of all, you have to have the passion to play. If you don't have that passion, I have a saying that I love. It's um, if you don't love this game, you'll hate it. And once you become a professional, it's an everyday thing. It's an everyday grind. You don't get days off uh, like a typical nine to five job where you have a weekend off and that kind of thing. So you have to love to play. If you don't have that passion, the the long hours in the gym, the long travel days are not worth it. But I love what I do. Um, I would I would say it's got to be confidence. You got to learn what you're able to do and what you're not able to do. And once you know what your limitations are, you can um, build on what you're good at. And I feel like I've done that to my point. I don't I don't have electric fastball. I've never in the past I've topped out at maybe 94. Um, now I'm right around 88 to 90 and that's not going to blow anybody's doors off, but I know that personally, I know what I'm able to do and how I get my house and I just build a lot of confidence in myself. So you have to have that confidence in yourself to know what you're able to do. And you can't be intimidated by the guys that, well, this guy hits a good breaking ball or uh, if you don't throw this guy a fastball, you're not going to get him out. So knowing what you're able to do and building the confidence in yourself and knowing your limitations and going out there and busting your butt every day, knowing that. Every day could be your last as a, as a baseball player, especially as a pitcher, especially as an import in a foreign country where there's only six spots for you. I've been twice released now from teams that have signed a hitter in my space. So it's, it's perseverance, it's confidence, and it's knowing you, knowing yourself. Yeah, so I remember when I was in Durango and you were, I think you were in Campeche, and I remember yes. I got released and you were like, what happened? I was like, no idea, no idea. Had a, had a ridiculously good outing, you know, get – you know how Monterey is. Go yes. eight back to back weeks against Monterey, one run and in sixteen innings, and then I get released, and I'm like, "What are we doing?" And, and that's we- the unfortunate part is, um, as a baseball player, as a professional athlete, unless you're at the top level of of the top level, you don't have a lot of say or control over your career. All you only have control over what you do and your performance and your preparation. Um, in a league like that, where they kind of shuffle through guys whenever they want. It's it's a situation where we're putting ourselves in that situation. Uh, we can choose to play or we can choose not to play. And that's the, kind of one of the uh, consequences of playing down there is you don't know what the situation is and you got to battle through it. And it is what it is. Yeah, totally agree. So back to that gym stuff that you were talking about. I even saw a video of you recently doing some med ball throws and some stuff in there. Yes. You, you've always been a large human, it's at least for <laughs> there, you know. So Fair. Like techniques or things that you'd like to share with everybody, you being you know older than me, that you really feel like, or like any benchmarks or anything that that you feel like you you need to be at in the off season in order to be ready for your season. Um, for me at my age now, as long as I'm in the gym most days or all the time, um, I try to go five six days a week, uh, at least one day off. Especially with uh, my age, I need a day to recover. Um. I, I like to do a lot of explosive movements, a lot of baseball-centric stuff. I do – one of my favorite things to do that is non-baseball-related is bench press. Bench press for me is 
something that gives me my confidence and gives me that uh, motivation to get to the gym all the time. Uh, so if I can get my bench press in and then go into my baseball stuff and my core work and the set of ball throws and stuff, I even bought my own ball because the uh, the gym that I go to doesn't have any. So I, I carry my 20-pound ball with me everywhere I go. Yeah. Um, Somebody is claiming that bench press is like the next best correlation to ball speed. Uh, John, should I? Yeah, go ahead. Jump in. Well, well, by all means. As much of a nerd as I am when it comes to all this stuff. Wonderful. So. Let's hear so it. Like, I never know, what, like, because we, we don't talk about these things. But, yeah, Kyle Bode, is, that's what he's saying. He's like, that's going to be the next big metric that baseball players are going to start caring about is bench press. So Interesting. funny. You know. Because uh, I played – I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, I just – my last thing, and then I'll shut up. Um, in that vein, though, like, uh, do you know Kerry Lightenberg? I do not. Kerry Lightenberg closed for the Braves um, back in the late 90s. What's up? Nothing. No, no. Oh, oh yeah. Um, anyway, I worked with him back in Minnesota, and he always talked about his big – like, he went to D D3 school in West Central Minnesota, University of Minnesota, Morris. Like, I lived right there. Like, they're, it's brutal. Like, those kids are not playing college baseball. It's bad. And he goes and then closes for the Braves, and his, he's like, yeah, everything was long toss, right? That was his big thing. But then I'm like, oh, the more I talked to him, he was also – he grew like four inches and he lived in the weight room and it was just nonstop. But it's just, it's funny hearing the, what people like do and what they attribute their success to. So like, that's funny. It was, it was perfect timing. It was perfect. Timing. I don't want, I don't want to say it funny. It's, it's interesting because I play with organizations that would not allow you to bench more than 40 pound dumbbells, organizations that wouldn't allow you to do it at all. Other organizations that you couldn't do anything overhead or incline pressing. So to hear that is actually, uh, kind of relief because I've always felt better and stronger and I threw harder more consistently when I was strong in my chest. And, so. and totally, yeah. the, I, I started Olympic lifting like two and a half years ago just for like to, to learn the technique of it uh, for multiple reasons. My shoulders have never felt better. I've done so much overhead stuff. Like it, it, it's, it's so, it's so strange. Like my right shoulder, my throwing shoulder never hurts when I'm doing snatches or jerks. Uh, it's actually my left shoulder because my left shoulder has other limitations that my right shoulder doesn't. You know, it's it's crazy. Like I'm I'm not dumb. You know, I I know how to not be dumb. So yeah. no, sure. And it's one of those things where I mean, you, people can preach till they're blue in the face, but when you actually experience it firsthand, I feel like that's going to be more important to me than somebody telling me that bench pressing is not going to work for me when I feel better now than I've maybe felt in five years. So. Yeah. Confidence and comfortability, I think, are huge for what what us pitchers are trying to do. And, you know, let's get into some, some very sensitive topics here, too, because I, okay. I think I know what your mental state is, and I just want to ask you about it, too. Are you trying to throw the ball as hard as you can every time you're on the mound? Um, there are times yes and times no. I, I'm going to say 98%. I'm not going to say 100 because I feel like throwing 100%, I'm not going to throw the ball where I want to. At 98, I feel like I can. Especially, my, I think I throw my breaking balls maybe 100%. Yeah, I was my fastball. Say, for what I've seen you, for what I've seen you throw, like you're you're ripping it when you're trying to spin. And and that's what I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying to make everything look like my fastball. And if I'm if I'm pulling off it or trying to yank down or something differently when I'm throwing my breaking stuff, I feel like I'm less effective. Especially because I feel like I have really good tight spin on my breaking ball, my curveball. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, you do. Oh, yeah. So when I'm when I'm throwing that my best is when I'm really getting on it when I'm really staying back and really staying through it and really ripping on it and I'm not trying to throw my curveball to a specific spot most of the time I'm trying to get a guy to swing and miss because I got two strikes on him 
Now, if I'm trying to baby one in there, that I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be effective anyway. So when I'm, it's what I'm really ripping on at 100%. That's when I feel my best. So you, you throw your breaking balls mentally more aggressively than you do your fastball? 1,000%, One, 1, yes. Absolutely. I, I am more aggressive with that. I don't, I don't try to baby it in there. The second you start babying it in there is when guys start seeing that spin because it pops out lazy or it's not going to move as much or it's going to move earlier and guys have a chance to see the break. So I've been talking with parents lately about, like, phrases and things that coaches are talking about and you hear you know john smoltz um oral hersheiser they say these phrases like get me over breaking balls and i i keep pointing to the best in the show and i go kershaw never uh, i never saw kershaw throw get me over breaking ball like every right. one of the ones he threw was his best curve first inning to last inning it was the best version of it and it sounds like that's kind of what you're going for too 100 percent um, guys like Clayton Kershaw can throw as hard as, as his curveball as hard as he can and locate it in the strike zone to the bottom of the strike zone. Um, for me, I, I don't have that ability to throw my curve, not as well as he does, especially, but I can't throw my curveball mentally for a strike as a get me over. I gotta say, get me over. I can't throw my best curveball for a strike for strike one most time because I'm so aggressive with it. But fortunately for me, I throw my slider both sides of the plate for a strike more consistently than anything than my fastball for that matter. Yeah. But uh, um, it's, it's definitely a mental mindset when it comes to that, for sure. Look at this aggressive comment right here. You suck in Kulia Cam this season. Hey, Alex, yeah. whenever, whenever you're ready to get in the box, I'm sure Derek would. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it's, it's, I mean, it's, it comes from all sides. I've had a lot of positive feedback and you get occasional that way as well. And if you look at my numbers this year in Kulia Cam, my numbers don't look good, even though I threw the ball way better than what my numbers look like. I still had 25 strikeouts in 20 innings. I had nine walks, but four of them were intentional. So I mean, it's but you it's, hate how they count everything wrong there. That's the no, answer. right. And, and yeah, everything's that's the, the nature of the game. Yeah, exactly, hundred yeah. percent. So that's what I, you know, when when I got released from Durango and I talked to the guy and I was like, I, I just threw it all out there because I kept tracking my stats where they should be, and they're like, Yeah, you have a five ERA. I was like, No, I don't. I have a two ERA. You guys don't know how to count things. Like it does not work. If my right fielder. If it hits his glove, bounces over his head in the air, and you give the guy an inside the park home run, that's not my fault. He should have caught it, right? You should have caught right. it. All, you know, it, and the it, unfortunate it, part, I mean, is there's nothing you can do to control that. And though you're going to use anything and everything they can against you when they need it. And whatever your good stuff is, like, oh, well, that's not as important right now. Wait till later when you struggle a little bit. Like, oh, look, now you're struggling. We can't use you. It's exactly. it's, it's just they, they need a single reason to move on from you if they don't want to keep you. And that's, and they can find anywhere they want. That's, that's with spring training in the U S that's with Mexico. It's anywhere, anywhere you play professional sports or professional baseball, especially it's, you're just a commodity for them to use and discard when they're done. And that's something that I'm sure you've understood as a 30 year old, uh, professional athlete, baseball player, that it's something you have to deal with. It doesn't mean you have to like it, but that's, that's just the reality of what we do. So totally agree, man. I mean, you, you've been a guy who's consistent, and, and I just don't think that teams value that enough. I mean, please come back to the Padres because, I mean, <laughs> every time I go to a game over there, I'm always like, we're just going to throw 85 fastballs this game and watch us give up 15 hits. Like, it is some of the most boring baseball I've seen. I'm like, oh, this guy's throwing 95. Or like Kasner when he was here, throwing 97, and I watched him throw 25 fastballs in a row. And I'm going like, what are you doing? What in and, the world? Right, and that's the, that's the unfortunate part about the game we've kind of evolved to is nobody cares about the guys that can pitch anymore. They're just looking for arms that throw 
95 plus. When you see all these guys, all these prospects, all these new, there's, there's this new stuff like, uh, I can't remember the name of the app right now or the name of the guy. It's the Pitching Ninja from uh, Twitter. He has this flat, flat ground app. Yeah, flat yeah. ground app. Oh. Where it's not guys throwing breaking balls and locating pitches. It's like, hey, look, this guy throws 95. Look, this guy throws 97. Look, this guy's touching 98. Oh, this guy's throwing 94. It's not like, well, this guy had this this good a year. He's He's got three or four pitches he throws for a strike. It's it's all about velocity and nothing else. And that's the unfortunate part in my mind that you're not teaching guys to pitch or be pitchers anymore. You're teaching guys to throw as hard as they can and then maybe mix in a breaking ball to go back to their fastball. And yeah. that's – that's where the game has gone the last five, six years, and it's going to keep going that way until, I, I guess, something really strong proves it otherwise. Yeah. Which is it, unfortunate. It, I agree. I mean, even if you look at uh, – did you see that thing they put out on Batanzas? Um, recently they were talking about this year has been the biggest year of his splits where he's thrown almost equally his – I guess he throws a slider now. I didn't yes. even – um, but he throws his curveball, his slider, and his fastball, and they were all right around 30% each. And it was it was on purpose. And he had the best year of his career. Can, I mean, he, imagine that. Yeah, exactly. You know, about mixing. And that was the – when I was in Mochi's, a lot of the, the hitters that I faced and my manager, they were like, man, you use your fastball so well. Or, I mean, you, you, throw, you have a good fastball, you should throw it more. And I'm like, I, I, don't, I just don't agree with you. Like, the way I use my fastball with those guys – like you know, um, what's the what's the the Cuban guy that's on your team? Um, starts with an M. Um, Mustelier. Yeah, Mustelier. That dude hunted fastballs. Like I watched him turn on 96, 98 from those guys down there, and be, and I'm I'm taking the mental note, going like it didn't matter if it was 01, 10, two. No, like, that's his pitch. Obviously, he just sat fastball the whole game, and I don't think people factor into. Oh that into the approach of the hitter where if you know somebody's sitting dead red and that's all they're looking at, I just don't understand why you would throw that for a strike. Like I had better pitches throwing it off the plate on purpose and watching him chase it and then come back with a front door cutter or something from there. And then him just kind of be confused at like what's happening, you know, hundred percent. You get, you get coaches and, and organizations that fall in love with a certain pitch. We need you to see you throw that. We need you have a really good fastball. We need you to see, to see you throw that, 50, 60, 70 percent of the time, when really it's your fastball is good because you're setting it up with your breaking stuff. You throw in your cutter for a strike. You're throwing your breaking ball and your changeup for a strike, and then all of a sudden your fastball looks even more electric. Like you said, you get guys that are hunting fastballs. Then what are you going to do after that? You're not exactly. throwing your breaking ball. You're sitting fastball. Well, you may not get a chance to throw your breaking ball because he has the the fastball 800 feet. What are you going to do? Yeah, I think it's just knowing what works for you. You know, I mean, 100 percent. Yeah, a lot of these high school kids come in and they talk velo, velo, and we talk velo all the time and stuff. But we also talk about like reading swings, understanding that you're not throwing strikes, that you're trying to get another human out. Like, there's a whole different strategy to the game that we just that you just don't see, especially when your coach is calling your pitches the whole time and you don't even get to think about anything. Absolutely right. And something you it's almost impossible to learn when you're that age is because you need the experience. You have to experience it and realize. Okay, you can you can talk about it to your blue in the face that this is because of this, and you need to throw balls that look like strikes and all this stuff. But until you experience it, it's really hard to apply that on the mound. Now, yeah. getting a head start and knowing these situations before they happen, so that way when it does happen, it's like, oh, we talked about that. He's hit that breaking ball right down the middle for two strikes, eight hundred feet because I I miss I miss miss executed 
when we talked about this, as opposed to be like, how do you hit it? I threw a breaking ball, two strikes. Nobody hits a breaking ball, two strikes. That kind of stuff. Yeah. But, but I'm going to jump in because I, I just don't think people are really like missing that. I don't think kids are missing that opportunity. Like the information is there and kids are all over it. So the, just the one thing that I disagreed with what you said was that the, the, like turn into velocity is is all that the focus is. I think there is like it now exists. Like it just didn't exist. And then I I'm still saying this to John. Like it's it's unique that we have a radar gun in our facility. Like so really it's it's not that it's that we're not there. We're not even close to being velocity oriented enough. Do you know what I mean? So I think when I go talk to college coaches, they don't know how to. They're not. They don't care as much about development. They care more about what you're talking about, you know, and they're not as impressed with somebody's ability to train velocity. They're more caring about, like, can you relate to kids? Can you get them to understand, like, how to mentally pitch, you know? And, and so what I'll come back with is I'm curious also of what you think about mentally. We've talked about it, you know, uh, at the college that I coach at in St. Paul. We actually spent five to ten minutes a day on mental training. So – I think we're, uh, yeah. I hope I was. Okay, listening. no, no. Look, I, I, I don't disagree with anything you just said at all. Um, I think I, I think my, my thought process is more on the professional side as opposed to the young developing side. That's not something that I'm really a huge into uh, a part of right now because I'm still playing. So all my thought process there was guys are not really signing back into professional baseball unless they're throwing 100 miles an hour. Okay, or and 95. So then, like, and then my counter to that is, and, and, and the only reason I know this, I'm just spewing what I hear from the driveline podcast. Sure. I have to give credit where it is, but it's like, now we're getting, now we're seeing more people like us. There's more coaches being hired in major league baseball than ever before. Like right. there are more things happening in the minor leagues. Like people are paying to develop for the first time ever, you know? So I think that's the counter to what you just said. I think that's what's happening. I think it's happening like right now. Okay, and see, this is these are a lot of information that I'm not privy to. Um, yeah. I can only just go off of what I've what I've experienced and what I've seen, and yeah. um, just and my general base of knowledge, which is not very specific, as not nearly as specific as, as both of yours. Um, I, I see guys getting signed because they're throwing, they're talking about this left-hander who was throwing 199 miles an hour, and that's how he got signed because he's throwing 99, not because he's developed, not because of the training that he's had. All you hear is that, well, this guy got drafted or picked back up because he's throwing 99 at 37 years old. So, uh, I'm, listen, I'm not, I'm not bitter. I'm not upset by any stretch of the imagination. I know what my limitations are. I'm 35. I'm definitely on the downhill slope of my career. Allegedly. And I'm loved. Not to the nah. guy throwing 30, the 37-year-old. I've been following him for a while. What's his name? Do you remember his name? Oh, my uh, goodness. If you didn't it, ask I know me, his I IG, told you. His IG is X2 Athletics, which is in uh, Peoria. Um, okay. Definitely follow him if you don't, because everybody at his facility is like 95 plus, but he's definitely doing something right. But when you look at him, like, so, he, so the article that you read was bait because I've been following the guy for four or five years and he's okay. 97 cutter slider uh, or 97 cutter slurve change. Like the dude is legit. The legit. Dude. Okay. And, and so that part gets picked up on it. And so you and for I sure. see that, but we also can go on experience. Like the guy that replaced me in Durango lefty, uh big league guy, 96. Right. When I look at the numbers two weeks later, he's got a 14 ERA in Durango and you know how that goes. Like the ball flies. Which is standard. Yeah. yeah. 
Exactly. You know, like I had a five and I felt like I was doing well compared to the rest of the team there, you know? And so, for sure. No, for sure. Yeah. People didn't understand. I gave up three broken bat home runs and the field was 340 down the lines and 420 in center, you know? And literally if you hit the ball in the air, it's a homer and the ball on the ground because the, the field is so stiff, so, so tough that it was a base hit. So you're hitting the ball on the ground, it's a hit and the ball in the air is a homer. It, it's tough to play there. Durango's yeah, tough. Yeah. Every, every place down there, like people don't understand, like, when you're in the north or the south of division, you almost have to have like a completely different strategy at each field that you're at so you can survive. Because, because every, le yes, yeah. legitimately your pitches do different things. In Mexico City, you're literally at 7,000 feet. Think about that. Coors Field's a mile high, lower yeah. 5,000. We're at 7,000 feet in Mexico City. So, I mean, think about the difference of what the ball is doing or not doing and the way the ball flies in the air. You have to do things differently. You can't pitch the same way. At every place, and yeah. it's 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 a it's a definitely test of, of mental toughness too. Because if you make a good pitch and that guy just barely touches it and it leaves, yeah, I mean it's a it's, it's a homer regardless in the book. It looks like he hit 800 feet, but really yeah. you made a good pitch that he just touched it. So yeah. if you can come back from that, if it's Hafed Amador or you know correct or, or Cass hitting like you touch the right ball, goes 500 feet. Like so I mean for everybody doesn't know who Hafed Amador is. Look him up. He's a giant. He's he's sick. What is he? Six nine, six seven, or something he's, like that. Something like that. About three hundred pounds. He's actually yeah. currently playing in the Caribbean World Series for Team Mexico in Panama, you know. Yeah. So like, the, the Caribbean Series. He's a monster. Yeah, and he's got like he averaged like twenty home runs a year in Japan right now. Yeah, he's killing it in Japan. Like yeah. he every every ball he hits out there that leaves the yard, it looks like it's gonna kill somebody in the outfield. Like the guy's impressive for how big he is, you know. So, it really is. Cool. All right. Well. uh do you have any questions for us? The uh, uh, spam call. Oh, sorry about that. I asked you, do you have any questions for us? Oh, man, let's see. Um, how long have you been in your facility? How long have you been doing this, John? So I've been training pitchers for about 10 years, but often I've been different locations. I was in Florida was home for me for a little while. Right. Uh, when I started playing in Mexico, when you and I met, I was back and forth in San Diego because I have friends here. Then ended up moving here, and I'm now at a place called Pivotal Sports Performance. Couldn't be happier. And we've only been at this spot for about four months, and everything's okay. just going great, man. It's it's really going well. Um, the gym in here, we have a bunch of minor league guys that train. The guy who owns the gym is a, a probably one of the better um, speed and strength coaches in San Diego. And, and everybody that's here, it's like an athlete's gym. It's not a – 24-hour LA Fitness, you know, where sure. people kind of clog things up. People get in, they get out, they get their work. There were minor league guys in there training, speed training in there earlier when we just got here. Um, you know, and so it, it's just been very fun to see, you know, being able to help these kids learn sure. how to be a pitcher and develop their velocity. Uh, I really think, and, and I'm going to say some stuff, and I want to know your opinion on it. Sure. I personally think, Anybody can throw 90 miles an hour. It's not if, it's when. And you have to be honest with strength levels, numbers, and tracking of, 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 of what you're doing. What do you think about that? 90, I think 90 is very attainable for, I would say, a vast, vast, vast majority of athletes trying to throw hard. 100, completely different. 95, completely different. But 90, I think just about anybody with the right technique and the right form and the right work ethic over time, not necessarily 17 years old, it could be 27. I was throwing 81 to 83 in my senior high school. I was 18. I was graduated 18 and a half. I was literally 81 to 83, topping out at 85. And without any coaching or inability, I just happened to grow and 
figure out something mechanically. My mechanics were terrible until I was probably 25 or 26 years old, truthfully. But once I started figuring that out, I saw my velocity go up. But I do think that it's possible for anybody, and I'll say anybody, most people to throw 90 at some point in their lives, whether it's 16 or 26 or 30. Yes, I agree with that. Okay, cool. Right on. Yeah, that's that's the journey, the dedication to try to get to that, you know, is why we have a velocity leaderboard. It's why we rate our gun every baseball throw that we do. We're we're constantly looking at upgrades and things that we try to help people get information, you know, with the radar gun, how you and I were brought up was probably more like, let's see how hard you can throw it. And let's just see how good you are. You know, obviously that's it. That, 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 those two equated. It was how good you were is how hard you threw. There was no in between. It was exactly. if you threw hard, then you were good. If you didn't throw hard, you weren't any good. Exactly. You got a good breaking ball. Yeah, but you didn't throw hard. Yeah, that's, exactly. 100%. that's how we grew up. Now, that's, that's don't how you... I see a lot of scouting stuff happen the same way with that, you know, and certainly. And, yeah, absolutely and, right. And that's, that's how that's how I said that's how we grew up. I smile. I was raised my whole uh, high school, college, professional. If you didn't throw hard, you probably weren't gonna get that next chance. It wasn't it wasn't about spin rates and your breaking ball and your slider and what your fastball was doing. It was velocity. Yeah. So, now don't don't go ahead. Go ahead, guys. Earlier when you were talking about it, you talked about like knowing your limitations. So um, I'm curious, like uh, how is that different? Uh, as a 35 year old compared to if I'm 20 years old, how do I know my limitations and how does that, how do I still get better? Now, see, that's the tough part at 20. You don't know your limitations. So you have to push yourself until you, you pretty much max out and you don't know it. You're, you're uh, you don't know you're maxed out until you're maxed out. It took me when I was what 26, I was maybe throwing 91, 92, but by the time I got to 28, I was touching 94. I was sitting 90, 92, touching 93. And then after 28 years old is when I really feel like, okay, I've, I've topped out. This is nothing. I can't get any harder. My velocity started ticking down a little bit after that. So pretty much you can't put but those limitations find, on yourself. Find your limitations. Like That's exactly right. Go there and then know them. Don't, don't, think, don't think what your limitation, okay, I must be limited at this velocity or this, this type of, I can only be a reliever because I can't throw this many innings or blah, blah, blah. You have to push your limits until you find your limit. Because if you don't push your limits, if, if you put an artificial limit on yourself, you're never going to get there, ever. That kind of sounds like one thing that we talk about all the time is, like, don't let somebody else tell you what your speed should be. Period. Yeah, like, we, we don't even try to preach that here. That's why we do use the radar gun, because we want guys to be like, when you think you're throwing hard, this is the number, right? And so, like, yes. one of the places that I, you know, I was, like, 94, 96 in Oaxaca, which is still a hard place to throw, but the mound is really nice. I pitched there last year for a week. One of the things I really <laughs> liked about, yeah, one of the things I really liked about throwing there was the gun was visible and everybody was giving me crap about peeking at the gun, but to me it was more verifying what I felt. I, Absolutely. I feel, I feel like it's coming off my hand good. This guy's super late. What's it at? What is what is this feeling right now, right now? You know, and, and that that awareness for what he's talking about is huge to me because you know, if it does feel good, but then you turn back and it's 85, you're like, okay, well, maybe that's not it. You know, if you, know, if you know what range you should be in, you know? Absolutely right. And I said, I, I do that same thing where I'll throw a fast one. That one felt good. Okay, I'm, right, I'm at 90. That's, that's about what I felt like. As yeah. opposed to, other, man, I really feel good. Look back and I see an 87, which, man, okay, maybe I'm not then feeling as good today. Or maybe that ball didn't come out as good as I wanted it to. Then what? So you look then, back. 87 what do you do 
And like, what do kids do wrong when they process that incorrectly? Now, for me, you can't, it's not an end all be all. You look at the radar gun and your velocity was not good on that pitch when you thought you threw as hard as you can. It's one of those things where you got to refresh. Okay, well, maybe I didn't do things right. So I got to go right back to, right back to what my, my thought process was before. As far as staying back, driving the ball down the hill, and getting that good extension out in front to get back there. As opposed to really trying to rip off the side and pull off sideways and try to get stiff with it. When, I, is when I'm stiff is where I'm not throwing my, my velocity as hard as I can. Yeah. Uh, and for me, uh, to answer your question too, for me, summing up, we're, we're on the same thing. Me, it's timing. You know, it's yes. like, did it feel good? Did I rotate early? Did I get the ball down behind me where I like it? Did that feel comfortable? Did I follow through as fast as I could for what I like? You know, did the pitch, was it a cutter? Was it a slider? Was it a curve? Was it a change? Did it do what it was supposed to do? And, you know, I see a lot more big league guys, you know, on TV kind of looking at that and being like, okay, you know, I think eventually there's going to be a radar gun right behind home plate where the pitcher can actually see it. Just like in tennis where, you know, Andy Roddick's ripping off 180 mile an hour serves. He knows, it's right in his front of his face. Absolutely right. That's right in front of him, you know, and, and I always felt like that was a good thing for guys to be able to be like, okay, like that felt good. But for some reason in the coaching world, whatever's going on, they don't, they don't want you to know, you know, and but I if you're in their thought process too, cause you get so guys so caught up with their velocity that it's, they're just throwing for that velocity. They're not trying to make their pitch and then see what the velocity is. They're like, I'm going to try to just rip this thing as hard as I can. So I can turn around and see how hard it was. So so if you're in the, that's the thing is if, if, if you'd always thrown in front of a radar gun, then it's not, there's not the wow factor. Right. hundred percent. Yeah. Absolutely. It, it, it becomes a tool. Exactly. Just like you said, and we're trying, if we're trying to be consistent and throw strikes and do everything else and try to speed up games, why not have right there? So you know exactly what you're doing. Know how it's going. Don't no, even, I, I agree. Start, I agree. Don't even start with speed up the game because all you, hitters, <laughs> all you hitters can just, if, if you take 15 practice swings before you get in the box, like I'm, I'm going to lose it. I'm going to lose it. Like, you know how it is down there. I mean, yes. I don't want to name names, but there's guys that I played with that I'd be like, get in the box. Like, I mean, you walk 10 feet from the batting circle to the box. But when you're playing at home, they play your walkout song. So they got to listen to the walkout song as long as possible before they get in that box. And, and that's, that's the truth. That's part of it. That that's part real. of it. So, some of those guys, some of those guys, that's part of their routine. They like to hear. They got. They got to get to a certain part of that song before they feel like they're locked in. I think it's absolute garbage sometimes, but that's how they prepare. And in all honesty, it pisses off the pitcher on the mound, so it works out to their advantage both ways. Yeah. When I was uh, actually uh, this summer, I took a team to uh, Kansas for the NBC World Series. Yes, and, play there. Uh, yeah, that, that was the third time I pitched in it, by the way. Didn't plan on pitching. We ran out of pitching. We were, you know, and so I had to go start, and I pitched against some D1 college guys. And after the game, they came up to me, and they were like, is that what it's like at the next level? And I was like, just faster. Yeah, I'm not really in shape, you know. But I still went out through seven innings and struck out 11 guys. And the kids on my team were confused. They were like, dude, you said you're not in shape. How come you go locate this and that? I was like, I just know what I'm doing. Throw, I'm just still throwing the baseball, and then I'm trying to explain to them, like, for what they think precision is, and, like, there was something recently, I don't know, I'd have to go back and look at the page, but they, the strike zone that you see on TV, the little K box that's over there in the corner, you know, mm -hmm. 
I totally resonate that with that more than what really people think. Like now this whole precision and accuracy thing, people, t you know, talking about it. I'm like, if you look at Max Scherzer's sequence to a guy, it looks as random as anything with all those dots everywhere. And mm -hmm. he is trying to tunnel and move and do things to make the hitter be confused still at 95, 97. And I don't think people give him enough credit for what he's doing with that. You know, even DeGrom and everything that he's doing, like forcing guys to swing at pitches you want them to swing is an absolute skill. Like, Absolutely we right. We don't even talk about swing and miss percentage. And I feel like you were one of the guys that was so good at that when we were down there. I remember talking to guys in our team, like trying to help decipher because you were locked in against us. I was, you know, you, I don't think you gave up. I don't think you didn't get somebody out. Like you either, there was a pop out or a strikeout against us. And I remember talking to the guys and they're like, what do you think about this guy? And I'm like, you have to take away a pitch, like take away one of his pitches and try to figure out. And they're like, well, we can't see it. And I said, well, then you, then you're guessing. That's pretty much, you have to, you have to decipher and try to figure out what his pattern is. And I'm we talk to hitters all the time to a lot of the minor league guys. And I went out and threw BP to them and they couldn't handle four seam, two seam. Like they were, they were like, dude, like, is that how you pitch? And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> LA in, up, down, like, you know, and we're th I'm throwing balls at maybe about 55 feet away and not throwing hard, but just locating on them. And they're acting like I'm throwing 100, and they got to factor things. I'm like, guys, I haven't even spun it yet or throw a cutter. Like, just this is just easy stuff. This is just right. This is literally sequences that we practice away, in, in, away. You know, easy things like that. And you just don't see that level of like people trying to execute ideas. And then the concept that they think that every big league pitcher is perfectly on the black, you know? No, you say, like you said, they don't give credit to guys like Scherzer and stuff because their stuff is so nasty in the first place. They think, Oh, he's just beating them with pure stuff. No, this guy is, like you said, the tunneling thing is huge with a lot of these guys. Like that's why I like uh, uh, Rod, uh, Rod Friedman, the pitching ninja guy, because he has those, those overlapping videos where he shows the ball, and where the ball starts moving differently, where the fastball does this and his breaking ball does this. So they have until that point to decide if it's going to be a fastball or breaking ball. And when you got Scherzer who's throwing 96, 97 with an incredible arm side movement with a nasty slider and curveball this side, what are you going to do? Yeah. It's, un yeah. it's impossible. Yeah, and he's throwing back foot change-ups, and then you got John Small saying that that's not a real pitch. And it's like, uh, pretty <laughs> sure I saw the catcher set up on the side and – throw a back foot change up righty righty and that's a real thing like do, does any professional organization call pitches uh no no not that i'm aware of no, um may, maybe like the dominican summer league or something like that where the guys are still super young trying to develop but as far as professional they want their catchers to develop too so if the catchers can't call a but, game they're never going to develop and, but and then you have the paradigm of every college every d1 college pitches get called so like my counter is that these kids never get the opportunity to learn how to do it like I'm 100%. from the middle of nowhere, so I just didn't have coaching, and that was I was I got lucky. Like the only you know I had four years of college baseball. That's the only time I've ever had pitches called for me. And I could not imagine what my career would be like if I had pitches called for me, because that's how I learned. That's how I learned myself. That's how I learned how to pitch. Well, if I threw a pitch that I thought was the right pitch to throw, and then he hits a double or hits a single, I talked to my catcher. I'm like, what did, what happened there? Well, you had just done this to him, so he's probably looking for that pitch that you just threw to him. Even though I located it and it was a good pitch, he was looking for it because that's the way he set you up. Like, yeah. Okay. I learned something about myself that day. I made, I made a mistake that pitch, but now I'm better for it. Now, if I got a guy calling a pitch like, well, he called a fastball away and I threw a fastball away and he hit it, that's not on me. 
Yeah, or you get but, like what we used to get that, or what I used to get all the time was, well, you you missed middle, and I'm like, no, I didn't. <laughs> no, I no, didn't. That's not no. if I missed middle, it would have gone that way. <laughs> that no, was, absolutely. And yeah, it's you know, easy to say that. It's easy to say, well, it wasn't my fault. You misexecuted your pitch. That's why they got hit. Not because you made a quality pitch in the wrong situation. It's because I, you made a bad pitch. I love yes, what you and just I, talked about yes. too, because that's one of the biggest things that like when we talk to some of these kids that we work with all the time about like the mental state of what they're trying to do on the mound is like you forget like everything that these kids have been doing through high school has been throw strikes, throw strikes, throw strikes, right? Hit your spot, throw strikes, don't overthrow, don't fly open, you know, like just just share the baseball, let them hit it. But when, when you really see what's going on, you're forgetting the one thing. Now you're pitching for your coach not trying to strike out another human. Like there's another dude that has tells like poker that you can figure out what they're doing. Absolutely right. Now, the only, not problem, the only thing I have about that is when you are in, at least when I came up, maybe not with the kids you're working with because they're that much more advanced right now, is if you're being told to throw strikes and do that kind of thing, it's because they're having a tough time getting the ball over the plate in the first place, much less trying to hit corners and throwing balls that like strikes and try to strike guys out. A lot of guys struggle just to get the ball over the plate. So if you start them by getting consistently in the zone, then you can start breaking it down to inner, outer, up, up, down, that kind of stuff. Um, so I, I, I see where you're coming from over there, but that's growing up. I, I didn't have guys that threw a lot of strikes. So it was just sit down the middle, throw a strike, let your guys play with you. Don't try to th strike a guy out by throwing a ball in the corner when you can't throw it there. But that kind I, of stuff. Talking about intent, though. So yeah. if, if, if you're trying to throw strikes as hard as you possibly can, like, I think that's the right way to practice throwing strikes. No, I, I agree 100% there. And we what that's what we run into. We we've gotten a ton of dudes who throw strikes, and the dad's like, yeah, he just doesn't, you know, he throws strikes. And I'm like, cool, that means he throws slow. Like that's what it means. It means that your son's guiding the baseball, serving it up on a silver platter, and I'm pretty sure his stats are probably not that good. And to me, kids that throw hard that don't have command just don't practice throwing hard often enough. Like it's really that simple. That's that's I like I like that philosophy we, like we, a lot. Oh, really? We have a dot on our target that's the size of a baseball on purpose. And so we okay. want our guys, how hard can you throw it to the dot at whatever pitch you're throwing? And so, like, focus for kids is a practice skill you just don't see. Like, you see kids that sit in front of you, and as soon as you start talking to them, they flip the ball up, they're on their phone, mess with their hat, moving around. And so we have to, like, train from the beginning the mental state of, like, the longer that you're staring at that little dot, the more chances that you are going to have to be able to throw it right there. I like it. No, that's, that's fantastic. These are, so these are obviously philosophies that I'm not aware of um, that you're teaching these younger guys, which is fantastic. Cause I, this is all stuff that I wish I had when I was here, as far as having a basic mental approach to pitching in general, and not yeah. just going out there on the mound and say, well, let's see what you can do. Yeah. So that's so, great that these, you got so many of these kids coming in there and learning early. That's going to give them the best opportunity to have success hopefully after college and into professional baseball. Yeah. So I, I, I was, I'm listening to some things. I'm not going to say who, cause it doesn't matter, but the idea of like, we also kind of need some sort of struggle. So like a lot of the things that I have success in is because like, Oh, you know, my, my simple story is I was the 12th pitcher on my team. My freshman year, I only pitched six and two thirds innings. My uh, junior and senior, I'm the ace on the staff and, like, do have, have good success. You know what I mean? So I always – No, for sure. So, like, if, if we're providing – like, what is it if you always have good situations? So if you're a, a family that can afford good training, 
Like, what is going to be your struggle and why? You know what I mean? You know where I'm coming for from? For sure. No, 100% I understand that because I would not be where I am without the struggle, period. It would not happen. I had a guy tell me in high school. Uh, there was a guy named Mike Stadoka who was drafted fourth overall. He was two years older than me. He was drafted fourth overall, left-handed pitcher. He threw nine, up to 95, I believe. He hit 600 with like 18 home runs in high school. He was drafted fourth overall. So a couple years later, I'm on a scout ball team, playing on a local scout ball team, and the scout that knew him really well was talking to me. Oh, Mike Sudoka this. And then he looks, looks me right in the face and says, you? And you couldn't even hold his cup of coffee for him. And that was the first time I'm like, are you – this scout, this guy that's, that could possibly be in charge of my future just told me that I'm going to be nobody. I couldn't even hold his cup of coffee for this guy. Yeah. So that was my first step of that, like, you're not good enough, you're never going to make it situation. So if I didn't have stuff like that, I would not have had that chip on my shoulder, which for me helped me make me a better player. Um, everybody, regardless of their financial standing or their way of training, they're going to come across that struggle because unless you are the next um, Clayton Kershaw or Mike Trout, you're going to fail regardless. Now, it's almost like those guys that have those opportunities to come in there and train like that. When they struggle, that struggle is going to hit them harder than most because they haven't struggled. And it's going to be how they react to that, in my opinion, that's going to make them uh, the player that they, they can be or if they're just going to fall and be like, you know what, it's not for me. That's my you know, philosophy. So that's my opinion. It's like what's, you know, what's the appropriate struggle for a 10-year-old? Like what is a, what is an, how does an 8-year-old need to fail compared to a 20-year-old? No, maybe an eight-year-old doesn't need to fail. Maybe failing too early would turn them off to the situation where just give him a chance to succeed and give him the right tools to do his thing because eventually down the line he's going to fail. A 20-year-old can, can fail a lot more and have and still have that fire to go back out there and be better. An eight-year-old, if you beat an eight-year-old down and, have, and it fails early, that's going to be tough to come back from that because that, that sets you up for the rest of your life. If you're failing as an eight-year-old and you can't do it, you're not going to have any desire to play when you're older. See, I, I disagree with that because we have eight-year-olds here that we throw them into challenge competitions and we're trying okay. to teach them to fail to be able to continue to go. So we're trying to spark that. Like, okay, no, right, which, we, which is great yeah. for, for the you kids know, that can handle it. Yeah, and I guess exactly. if, by doing that, you're going to filter out the kids that aren't really passionate about it, which is fine yeah. because they're eight. If they're, if they're just learning and doing that stuff, they'll figure out maybe this isn't for me. And then maybe you will spark that fire in kids that are young to – have that fire younger. I mean, I've, I've always been a baseball fan my whole life. I played baseball and basketball my whole life. But I didn't really love baseball the way I do until really I had that struggle. Yeah. it is. So, I mean, really. People don't understand how hard it is, like at the level that you're still playing at, which I applaud you a thousand percent because <laughs> the consistency and the same, like what's crazy to me is, I mean, you've been down in Mexico four years now, right? Or going I'm going into my fourth year, yes. Going into your fourth year. And the people don't know, you're facing the same dudes like all year, not just in the summer. The same dudes that are in the summer are the same dudes that are in the, Play winter. In the winter. And they figure you out and they make good adjustments and they're trying to have better plans and better plans. And I look at that and compare it to the guys in the big leagues that they're facing the same dudes. And you know, of course, it makes sense why we're not seeing pitchers lasting 10 years like they used to, 10, 12 years, because it is so much harder to go out there and be consistent at the highest level. And there's so much more information available about guys 
about situations. They have, I mean, reports about guys' tendencies, especially against you, against this guy, against lefties in general, against right-handers in general. Daytime, at home, away, there's so much more information available that guys, if they're smart enough, which most a lot of those guys are in the big leagues, take that information and have a better idea of what you're trying to do to them. And same thing for us. We have a better idea of what that hitter's trying to do to us. But that's why it's such a chess game, but it's so much harder to last Yeah. in, this, so, in today's game, in my opinion. Yeah. So do you – all right, so I have an opinion about the game in general. I okay. personally think the game is really the game within the game. Like when people really understand baseball and they can follow it, the people who don't understand the chess match that's going between the hitter and the pitcher – to me, that is the entire game. The extra stuff, the as the ball leaves the field and everything there, if nothing happens without that catalyst of contact or whatever is going to happen. And so you see a ton of people that almost get frustrated. Like I have family that gets frustrated at a one nothing ball game. And I'm like, yep. you didn't see what I saw. I saw more swing and misses at nasty pitches than anything else. And I enjoyed it. I enjoyed like the sequence where – you know, you, I, I challenge our pitchers all the time and even some of the hitters and stuff too and say, try to mentally have the at-bat that the hitter is or the pitcher is and look what he does and see if you're on the same page with that guy. You know, now, I think 100%. I, I think we have a unique perspective because we've been pitching for so long. Yeah. And it's easier for us to see that mental battle or that, that chess match every single time with the runner on base. There's two outs with the tying run on second base. That's a completely different chess match with the guy on the plate. Which guys don't, which most of the typical fan wouldn't see that. They see, okay, a guy on second base. If this guy gets a hit, he's probably going to score. They don't see the pitches that, okay, well, I really have to get this ball in on his hands, or I really have to execute this fastball away. And then you see that guy make that pitch, and the guy rolls over for the out, and is like, man, he really executed that pitch. Like, oh, no, he just grounded out in yeah, the inning. He missed it. Like, no. Really? <laughs> exactly. And see, that's, I think that's a unique perspective that we have as pitchers professionally yeah. because we can empathize with every guy on that mound. Yeah, good or bad 100%. for sure so so if you were to go to a ball you know go to a big league game where do you want to sit um that's a good question i don't know if i like to sit behind home plate uh, i can't really see where the pitch is at um i'm a center field guy are you really center field i, I want to sit in center and i want to see all of this stuff right there i'm behind home plate for sure i mean either one all right but I can't stand the people like really enjoy games behind the dugout. I'm like, you, you can't see. Anything. I can also get really good video from the corners too. That's true. I mean, it depends on what you're there for. Yeah. No. Right. And if you got a good pitching matchup on the mound, I think being right off the side of home place, like for me, I love watching that breaking ball come in from the guy that has a good breaking ball. Yeah. So if you're just slightly off center, like the, say you see some of the video, like I saw the vigil of Roger Clemens throwing that slider in his alumni game. Yeah. So if you can get that angle and see what that guy is doing or those guys are doing, that for me is the most impressive for me to see how late that ball is moving. 95, how it sneaks up on the guy and maybe has a little extra life at the end. And then all of a sudden the guy throws that nasty hook to the outside. That's, that's, that's beautiful to me. Yeah. I, I would take that's, that's number one or number two. It just depends on what, you know, how much the seats are. I'm not paying a grand to go. <laughs> and then and, see, obviously you've got to take that into consideration. Flip as well, up 88 mile an hour sinkers up there, you know, like <laughs> <laughs> nothing against I'll that. I'll go sit in the nosebleeds. No, Hey, look, I went to a game and they were playing the Rockies and the Rockies were, were uh, still making a run at it. And I watched him throw first pitch fastballs for five innings in a row and give up nine runs. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> you kind of got hot at the end of last year. Yeah. Against the Reds and the Marlins. <laughs> 
you know, like against teams that were just like, yeah, we don't, we don't care anymore. So I'm going to say call, right, call man, everybody up too much more of your time. Um, you know, I'm excited for your season coming up and, and thank you doing what you're doing. If you have any questions for us or anything in the future, or want to send over some video or talk about anything, awesome. feel free to send it over. You know, I'd love to help you if, if there's anything I can help you with. And I appreciate and, it. I, I appreciate you guys having me on. Dude. Yeah, this is, this is easy. Well, I'll, I will download this and then it'll be on YouTube also. So wonderful. Yeah, I'd love to get a link for it. This is the first time we try to do it through Instagram. I felt like it'd be a little easier like this right here. So I, I I've enjoyed this. It's been pretty flawless and pretty seamless for me. Well, you're, you're a quality human. And I figured we'd have a good conversation. You know? ah, I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. All right, man. Well, well, nice talking to you guys. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Guys, if you're not following Derek, go follow him on his, his uh, continuation of his Mexican lifestyle. I'm pretty sure he's moving down there sooner or later too, you know, that, that might be a possibility. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> definitely. Hey, congratulations, by the way. Uh, you know, I saw on new year's, you, you know, you got engaged, man. That's great. I did. You know, Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Sound like you got a, you got a winner there. I do very much. So for sure. Did she come up there with you? Uh, she'll be here this Saturday to visit for a little while. Gotcha. And then we're going to work on getting her over here permanently. Yes. That's awesome, man. Congratulations. Congrats. Thank you. Karen, te amo. You got anything left? Nice to meet you. Thank you very much. Cass, nice to meet you. Nice talking to you guys. Definitely. All right. Appreciate it, man. Take it easy. Guys, don't forget, go check out the online store. You know, this will be on YouTube. You can subscribe on there. If you want to learn how to throw my cutter, uh, slider, anything from there, you can all on YouTube channel. Ah, perfect.